Welcome back, everybody. This is Rick Pettigrew with another batch of fascinating news stories that appeared on Archaeologica this past week. Send us feedback on the Archaeology Channel Facebook page or post a message on our social networking site, Archaeoseek. Two clay tablets from Iraq serve as a kind of Rosetta Stone to decipher an ancient language, Amorite, that is ancestral to modern Hebrew. Large pits around the medieval city of Great Zimbabwe in the southern African country of Zimbabwe appear likely to be water conservation features. A huge pile of elephant bones in Germany seems to show that Neanderthals existed in surprisingly large groups that hunted and feasted on the meat. And caves and tunnels found by children while playing near Naples turn out to be parts of a major Roman aqueduct system. Thanks to everyone for supporting our subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, available at heritagetac.org. We now have hundreds of titles you can binge upon on Roku. Please help us spread the word. Again, that link is heritagetac.org. Our tour program, TAC Tours, will continue this year, including a tour of Viking sites in Denmark. The link to our tour program is at archaeologychannel.org tours. And now, here's Laura Kennedy with the audio news from Archaeologica. We hope you find this to be a valuable part of your day. Welcome to the audio news from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Kennedy, and these are the headlines in archaeological and historical news for the week of January 29th through February 4th, 2023. We begin this week in Iraq, where linguists have now determined that two clay tablets contain the most complete examples yet discovered of an ancient Canaanite language known as Amorite. The research is hugely significant for understanding this previously poorly known language, and its place in the larger family of Middle Eastern languages. Perhaps even more significant is that the nearly 4,000-year-old text shows highly recognizable similarities to modern Hebrew in both sound and meaning, showing that ancient Amorite is directly ancestral to the language of Israel today. As reported by Live Science, the two fired clay tablets with side-by-side inscriptions were discovered in the 1980s in Iraq, and are thought to date from 1800 BC, the time of Hammurabi. They left the country during or after the Gulf War and ended up in collections in the United States and England. Their original find locations remain unknown. The two tablets have very similar texts, which turn out to be a language manual, translating helpful phrases in a well-known language, Akkadian, into a now poorly known language, Amorite. Akkadian is represented by many surviving texts. For Amorite, however, so few inscriptions were known that some doubted it was even a language. Now these two tablets have turned that paradigm upside down. In 2016, the tablets came to the attention of two leading Assyriologists, Manfred Krebernick of the University of Jena in Germany and Andrew R. George of the University of London's School of Oriental and African Studies, who were thrilled to find they are a literal guide to understanding the mysterious Amorite language. The side-by-side translation is comparable to the famous Rosetta Stone, which had an inscription in one known language in parallel with two unknown Egyptian scripts, and thus yielded the secret of ancient Egyptian hieroglyphics and its later cursive descendant, Demotic. In the new case of the two Iraqi tablets, the known Akkadian phrases are a guide to written Amorite. 
After noticing the similarities between the unknown language and what little was known of Amorite, Krebernik and George determined that the two were the same, and that the tablets were describing Amorite phrases in the old Babylonian dialect of Akkadian. Akkadian was originally the language of the Mesopotamian city of Akkad from the 3rd millennium BC, but it became widespread throughout the region in later centuries and cultures. The Amorite people originated in Canaan around 1800 BC in an area corresponding roughly to today's Syria, Israel, and Jordan. Later, they founded a kingdom in Mesopotamia. Meanwhile, the Israelites invaded Canaan, conquering the local Amorites. From the phonetic similarities between the newly translated Amorite and modern Hebrew, it now appears that Israelites adopted the Amorite language as well as taking their land. The Amorite written in the tablets seems to be a traveler's guidebook for Akkadian speakers. Including many previously unknown daily words and complete sentences, it may have been written by an Akkadian-speaking Babylonian scribe or scribal apprentice to help someone learn Amorite phrases. One passage includes a list of phrases of welcome. Another lists the correspondences of Amorite gods to the Mesopotamian gods. In phrases similar to any modern travel guide, the reader learns how to ask for bread and wine. Scholars of Middle Eastern history have used extraordinary terms for the discovery, calling it amazing and sensational, because it shows such clear ties between ancient Amorite and modern Hebrew. The linguistic evidence clearly places Amorite in the West Semitic family of languages, which also includes Hebrew and Aramaic. The earliest known Hebrew writing is from about 1,000 years later than these tablets, yet many of the Amorite phrases given in the tablets are so similar to modern Hebrew that current Hebrew speakers can recognize their meaning. The findings were published this week in the Journal of Assyriology and Oriental Archaeology. Our second story takes us to Sub-Saharan Africa, where an international team of researchers have used new mapping methods to propose a new interpretation of large pits in the medieval ruins of Great Zimbabwe. Great Zimbabwe was the first known major city in southern Africa, home to an estimated 18,000 people at its peak. The cause of its decline remains a mystery, although it is sometimes attributed to drought. Archaeologists have now found evidence of careful water conservation amid the ruins. As reported by Science Alert, a team of researchers from Denmark, South Africa, England, and Zimbabwe have suggested that a series of large circular depressions known as Dhaka pits were not used for digging up clay, as experts once thought, but for capturing water. Many of the pits sit at the bases of hillsides or beside streams, perhaps strategically placed to capture rain and groundwater. Many of the plant remains found near Dhakas are of plants known to thrive near rivers or groundwater sources that hold high soil moisture. The new hypothesis is that by collecting rainwater and directing rivers and streams into Dhakas, the city's residents ensured water was available for drinking and agriculture throughout the year, even in the dry season. The analysis included airborne laser scanning to survey the major features of the site, even in places with thick vegetation, and ground surveys and conservations with local communities, who also work to conserve water today. Figuring out how much water the pits around the city could have held is imprecise work, especially since this is one of the first studies to examine the structures. 
Nevertheless, estimates suggest these pits might have stored over 18 million liters of water. In the heyday of Great Zimbabwe between the 11th and 15th centuries AD, the city was home to religious leaders, craftspeople, and merchants. Very little is otherwise known about the history of the city. It remains possible that the city collapsed due to climate change even with a carefully coordinated water system. The research was published in December 2022 in the journal Anthropocene. Next, we go to Germany, where a huge elephant kill site shows that Neanderthals once systematically hunted and butchered the big animals, in groups big enough to carry out the feat. As reported by Science.org, a new study of butchered elephant remains suggests that Neanderthals could form much larger and more organized social groups than previously thought. The insight comes from a trove of animal bones and stone tools uncovered in the 1980s by coal miners near the city of Leipzig in eastern Germany. Beginning in 1985, archaeologists spent a decade recovering items from the site. The site dates to a relatively warm period in Europe, known as the Emean Interglacial, 75,000 years before modern humans arrived in Western Europe. Materials include the bones and tusks of more than 70 mostly adult male straight-tusked elephants, an extinct species almost twice the size of modern African elephants. Most had been left in piles along the ancient lakeshore over a period of about 300 years. Some of the bones are so large, they require a forklift to move, and nearly every bone shows signs of butchery. The bones hadn't been gnawed by scavengers like wolves or hyenas, suggesting the Neanderthal hunters stripped the carcasses completely, leaving nothing behind. The four tons of meat from each elephant would have been enough to feed 350 people for a week, or 100 people for a month. Neanderthals were previously thought to live in small, highly mobile groups of about 20 individuals at most, but this large-scale slaughter of elephants points to much larger groups big enough to process and consume entire elephants, and able to plan and coordinate the hunt, butchery, and meat distribution. These findings don't mean Neanderthals always lived and worked in large groups, but the results show that these human ancestors were more sophisticated than once assumed. The study was published this month in the journal Science Advances. Our final story brings us to Naples, Italy, where an archaeological nonprofit discovered that the caves and tunnels long played in by local children were part of a Roman aqueduct system. Rome's famous aqueduct supplied water for baths, drinking, public fountains, and more. Built between 300 BC and AD 200, many of these aqueducts are highly recognizable as towering, arched, and often multi-tiered structures. The above-ground architecture represents only a small fraction of the actual water system, however. The vast majority of surviving aqueducts lie underground. Subterranean aqueduct segments are also much less documented outside of Rome itself. This knowledge gap includes the Aqua Augusta, which was built between 30 and 20 BC to serve luxury villas in the glamorous Bay of Naples. The Aqua Augusta circled Naples and ran down to the ancient vacation destination of Pompeii in a route that stretched at least 87 miles. Now, new work by the Coxeus Association, a nonprofit group that engages in archaeological work, is bringing this fascinating aqueduct to light. As reported by Live Science, 
Tips from locals who explored the tunnels as kids helped association members find a branch of the aqueduct that carried drinking water to the hill of Posilipo and to the crescent-shaped island of Nisidia. So far, around 2,100 feet of the well-preserved aqueduct has been found, making it the longest known segment of the Aqua Augusta. In a report published last month, the association proposes several scientific studies to carry out in this stretch of the aqueduct, such as calculating the ancient water flow, analyzing the mineral deposits on the walls of the aqueduct, and determining local eruption cycles and climate. Members of the Coxeus Association plan to analyze the construction of the aqueduct as well. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. Also, be sure to check out our growing subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, at heritagetac.org. I'm Laura Kennedy, and I'll see you next week. This has been the audio news from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the audio news by clicking on the Share This link on our audio news webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by. Thank you.